invitation to come, be with your gracious church. What a good week this has been for me and how refreshed I've been, encouraged, and uh, seen uh, some old friends while I've been here in uh, the Birmingham area this week. Had lunch with another today, one of uh, Whitesburg uh, Baptists up in Huntsville, associate pastor came down and was here doing a funeral over in Alabaster. We had some good fellowship, but it's been good to get to know uh, you guys in uh, this church. You, you got some, uh, you, you have some chief ushers out front that are uh, unusually great men. Amen. Amen. They are. I've enjoyed getting to know them uh, out front, and they've encouraged me, and I appreciate their service uh, to us this very night. Good to have some old uh, Olive members here uh, tonight and be with us, and some uh, dear friends from days gone by, Andy, you and your wife, good to see you. Now tonight I want to share a message with us uh, out of the Word of God and out of my own life. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, we begin reading in verse 13, I want to read a text that speaks to the end of King David's life. Then I want to share three simple points of exposition out of this text and illustrate out of my own life this particular text, and then have a little different kind of invitation on this last night of revival. 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, Then three of the thirty chief men went down and came to David in the harvest time to the cave of Adullam, while the troop of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephium. David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David had a craving, and he said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. There's an exclamation point there. So then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. When you read in the life of David, he had a group of 30 mighty men that were always around him. David's at the end of his life in this text. Now when you count, because they are named, you'll find that there are more than 30 men that are named. You say, well, is there an error in Scripture? Oh, no. David always had to have extras. For it was very dangerous to be a mighty man in David's deacon fellowship, all right? Uh, they didn't live long from time to time, and they had to have some others ready, but there were always 30 that were around him. And here is David at the end of his life, the Philistines. They dogged him from the beginning to the end of his ministry. You'll find even today 
along Gaza, the Gaza Strip. Philistia is down there. It still for Israel is a very difficult, difficult place where the Philistine giants came from that every kid that ever goes to Sunday school learns that story about David and that giant that came against him. He was a Philistine. Here those Philistines are again. They've come up against him. He's in Adullam, in the valley, there in Rephium, and he's in a cave, and David is tired, and he's old, and he's at the end, and I can hear him. He kind of shrugs his shoulders. You can hear him sigh in this text, and he says, I wish somebody would drink, bring me a drink of water from Bethlehem. You know, David, that's his home. Some great things happened in Bethlehem. It's the house of bread, Bethlehem. And it's the house, bath of bread. And we know that the very bread of life came out of there. Amen. That Jesus would be born. David coming out of Beth. Now, David didn't thirst. Mm. If a king wants water, he just says, he's got water. Somebody will go fetch it. But he just didn't want any drink. He said, I, I wish I had something from home. And three of the 30 men heard David sigh. He didn't speak it out to anybody. It's just kind of like he just said, Lord, Lord, I wish I had a drink of water from Bethlehem. And three of the men gathered up together and said, the king wants a drink from Bethlehem. Let's go get it. And one of the three dealt out said, well, you know, we got to get through these Philistines to get there because we're not at Bethlehem, we're at Rephim, and we've got to get over there to it. And how are we going to do it? I said, well, we sneak through the line, we go down, we get the water, we bring it back to him, we, we make it. Well, they did. And when they came back, David would not drink. As a matter of fact, he poured it out like a libation, like a drink offering. He poured it out to the Lord. He said, my Lord, my God, they've risked their lives. How can I drink the blood? Speaking of, of the risk that these men took to bring him a drink of water from his Bethlehem. Do you know every church needs mighty men? You, tonight we're talking, we, we had an emphasis about country. A lot of you wearing red and white and blue. I wear red and white and blue most every day of my life. I always have on red and I'm white and I often wear a blue shirt so I, I'm patriotic as I go and, uh, but I'm telling you the need of America is deep tonight and it's deep for its churches to get right with holy God and the need of the churches uh, are for men, men I'm talking about hairy legged men to get right with holy God, we need men mighty men to stand and bow in the life of the church, and risk their lives for what God calls them to do and serve in the church. I want to give you three illustrations, or three just simple facts about these men that you see here tonight. Now, these were just ordinary men, and as a matter of fact, they're not even named. We, some people think we find their names, but we don't. Uh, if Just look back in your text uh, when you uh, see verse 8 in chapter 23. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had, and he gives some big long names there that are hard to pronounce. Chief of the captains called Adino the Esnite because of 800 men slain by him at one time. Now I'm telling you, that's a stud right there. 800 at one time. After him, Eliezer, 
One of the three mighty men with David after they had defiled the Philistines gathered there to battle. Uh, the men of Israel had withdrawn. He arose and struck the Philistines till his hand was weary and clung to his sword. And the, law, the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned. And then Shammah in verse number 11, his name there, he's a son of Aji. And the Philistines were gathering a troop and there was a plot of ground full of beans. And the people from the Philistines came. He took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and he struck the Philistines. The Lord gave a great victory that day. When you slip on down to verse 18, you find Abishai. And he's there. He's one of the chief as well as the 30. And the Bible says he swung his spear against 300 and he killed them. And he had a name as well as the three. He was the most honored of the 30. Therefore, he became their command. However, he didn't rise to the three water fetchers. Then verse 20 says, And Benaniah, who was the son of Jehida, who was a valiant man of Kabzal, done Mighty deeds, he killed the two sons of Ariel, Ariel's the king of Moab, uh, who also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. Now that's the guy you won't play in linebacker right there. He killed a lion in the middle of a pit and it was a cold, snowy day. So I didn't know it ever snowed. And oh, I've been to Jordan and seen snow inches deep and freezing to death. He killed an Egyptian impressive man. These things Ben and I did in verse 22. He was honored among the 30 in verse 23. He did not attain to the three. You just go on and you read about these men. They're great, great. But there's something about these three water fetchers that they measure everyone else by. This guy did that, but he wasn't one of the three. This guy did this, but he didn't attain to the three. This guy, but he didn't. These three men did a simple task, and they are honored in Scripture. We're looking for those mighty men in this room tonight. What marks these mighty men? Let me give you three things. Number one, they are men of submission. They are in submission to their king. Tonight, if you're going to be a mighty man, you must learn to be in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must first of all know that you're saved, 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 saved. You must know that you know that you know. You can take me to a place and tell me of a time when Jesus stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart and you were submissive unto him and you have been what the Bible calls regenerate, born again, redeemed, saved, just use the word. You are in submission to Jesus Christ for your eternity. Not only are you in submission for salvation, you are in submission for membership. You've been baptized. You, you've come in submission to holy God. You are in submission. You've walked into the baptistry and your pastor or another has placed you under the water and you have said Jesus died for me and he arose for me. You are a man under authority. Dr. Adrian Rogers said this in a book that he wrote about authority. Don't miss this, men. You will never be over what God has put under you until you are under what God has put over you. Now hear me again. You will never be over. Men, you're supposed to be over your family. You're supposed to lead your family. But you will never be over your family until you are under the Lordship Christ. You'll never be over what God has put under you until you are under what God has placed over you. You know why there's so many men tonight that can't lead their young men and women in their faith? They've not learned to submit to King Jesus. 
And until you are submissive in your spirit, you can never teach those children to be submissive in their spirit. You, you must be a man of... This, these three were men of submission. They were submissive to the king. Tonight we give the invitation. I'm going to ask you in a very unusual way to come right over here to these steps. And I, I'm going to ask you to come right there and I'm going to ask you to submit to Jesus, some of you to be saved, some of you to join this church, some of you to come for baptism, that you'll come under submission to the king of kings. Second thing about these men, not only were they men of submission, they were men of service. Service. They ran through the line. They got down there to Bethlehem. They found some receptacle to get that water in, a gourd or a bucket or a pitcher or something. And, and they got the water and then they came back through the Philistine line and they brought it to David. I'm sure they bowed and gave it to the king and said, Lord, here is that drink from your well of your hometown in Bethlehem. And they were there to serve the king. Do you know the church needs mighty men, not only that are men of submission, but they're great men of service. 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 I'm talking about men that take their turn in preschool care. Amen. Little boys and girls need to see giant men down on the floor with them, but we've left that to the ladies. Let me tell you, men, we need you down there. We need somebody teaching third graders. Amen. And we need men that are there. We need somebody, a man, to teach middle schoolers. Let me tell you, you better have the call of God in your life if you're going to teach middle schoolers. <laughs> Amen. But oh, I love those middle schoolers because they're honest and, and they'll just say what's up. But I'm telling you, we need people that will serve. And we, the ladies, we thank God for that. But we need men that will serve. I'm being grateful. I, I see a great number of men in this choir, uh, Pastor. I'm telling you, uh, percentage-wise, more than normal. Thankful to God for the singers that we have there and people that play and people that are out in the parking area and the ushers. That are, they're people to, to serve. I'm telling you, service. Jesus came seeking to save, but let me tell you, he came as a servant. A servant. You ever been to a foot washing? I've been in a few in my life. Jim Henry great First Baptist Church Orlando, Florida, told me one time, he said, you ought to have a foot washing at deacon's meeting once a year. And so I decided to try it. And so from time to time, we have foot washing at deacon's meeting. One of the first, the first time I was ever in a foot washing was Andy Turner's uh, granddaddy's house. That's where I was. When his uncle came home, it had been a long way from God. When Uncle Jack came home, he had been out of the will of God I happened to be there that night. Jack came in. I'll never forget hearing that water hit that bucket. And I thought, what in the world is he doing? I knew he was nuts. He'd been out in the far country. And I said, what is he doing? And he came in and he knelt down and he began to wash feet. He washed his daddy's feet. He washed my feet. He washed his brother's feet. I had that deacon's meeting, but the greatest foot washing I've ever been in, there was a man that made an appointment to see me on a Friday. I don't take appointments on Friday, Brother Mike. I just don't. I just don't like to take appointments on Friday much. and So I, I looked on my calendar, and there was an appointment on Friday, and I called out to Beth. I said, what's going on? She said, well, you're going to like this. I said, I better like it. <laughs> she said, trust me. I said, I do. And There was a chance. An older man. He's old enough to be my grandfather. He came in. 
He said, Pastor, he gave me his testimony. He was an older man. He'd been unfaithful to his wife. And then he had gotten into trouble sexually with children. God cleansed him, forgave him. He got back with his wife. And, and now the gospel had changed him and touched him. He was serving in our church. And he came in and he said, Pastor, I, I just want to ask you, can I wash your feet? You preached the gospel and Jesus changed my life and I don't know how to say thank you. I just want to say thank you to you. Can I do that? Why do you tell a guy he can't wash your feet? You have to be pretty arrogant. So I sat down and I had a pair of shoes like these lace-ups and he unlaced my shoes and Took them off, took off my socks, and he had a bucket of warm water and a towel. He took one of my feet and put it over in that bucket. And he had one of these little bars of soap, you know, like you steal out of a hotel room. And, uh, <laughs> and he started to lather up my right foot, and he washed my foot, and, and he put it in that water. And, and he, he treated like his porcelain. He dried my, took my other foot. All the while he's washing my feet, he was praying out loud for me, for Liz, for Rachel, for Bennett, for our church, for his pastor. And when he got done, that old man crawled up on my shoulder and laid his head right here. And I tell you, I can still feel the hot tears coming down my neck. He wept and he said, Pastor, I don't know how to say thank you. And I, I beg you, never tell my name if you ever tell about that. I just don't want it. He's in heaven tonight. He said, don't, don't ever, I just, I didn't come for show. I came to serve my pastor. I've never been as humble. I'm telling you, it takes a real servant, a man of God, to get on his feet in front of another and wash There's only two ordinances in the Baptist church, Lord's Supper and Baptism. Some people keep foot washing as an ordinance. It's not, a, it's not an ordinance, it's a pattern. That's what Jesus said. And if you come down the aisle at Olive Baptist Church Sunday and, and you join, we, we're going to give you a bunch of stuff after we introduce you to the Lord and we got some things. But one of the things we're going to give you is a towel at our place. And on that towel is that verse about Jesus washing feet and we ask you to take that and put it in your kitchen or put it on your golf bag or put it somewhere and let people know you're a foot washer you're a bond servant you're a bond slave to the Lord Jesus great men in submission great men that serve but thirdly the third thing we find in these texts that these men were not only men of submission and men of sacrifice they, these were men men that risked their all, that is, they were men that were sacrificial in their life. Men of submission, men of service, and men of sacrifice. i tell you one thing that's encouraged me this week is that I have finally found me a pastor that will talk more about money than I do. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Most preachers are scared to death of a checkbook and talking to their people about it. We need some sacrificial giving to go in our churches. It'll begin there. We, we need to be great givers, sacrificial givers. 
23% of Southern Baptists tithe. That teaches me there's 77% room for revival. Hmm. How about you? The easiest thing you'll ever give is your money. But you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. You give your time, your talent. You give many things, but you can begin with the easiest thing. That's when you write a check. But then you sacrifice unto the Lord. Great men. That's what the church needs. Men of submission, service, and sacrifice. The year was 1996. I'd been at Olive for a little over five years. I've been there 22 years, 21 of the happiest years of my life. Oh, but 1996 was not a good year. Oh, the church was growing much like you've been through here, and we built a new building, and like your pastor, I don't know how he does it, preaching three times. I did that for five years almost, 8 o'clock, 9 30, 11. Oh, it just wore me out. But I mean, every service, people were coming. I mean, you couldn't keep them out. The church was growing and going. And it, it was just, man, I was having a ball. But I had a staffer that was very popular, been there almost 25 years. and You just couldn't cut it. You couldn't keep up with what we needed to do. And I tried to move him and do everything. But finally, I had to dismiss him. And it was not easy, and he'd been there a long time, and many people, I mean godly, good people, loved him. And you, you won't believe this because you know how kind I am. There, there were people that didn't like me because I did that. There were people got mad at me. There was a lady that made an appointment to come see me, and 23 people came with her. Now, anytime you have to move an appointment from your office to a Sunday school room, it's trouble. Because I couldn't get them all in my office. Oh, they ate me up. They raked me over the coals. They sent a letter, one lady did. She sent a letter to my family and addressed it to Jezebel, to my wife. Now, these are church folk I'm talking about. People I know. Miss Shaw, my, my wife has had some bad days, but now, she's never been that mean. I'll just tell you, she's never been a Jezebel. You know, she might have got up close a time or two, but I, I mean, you know, kind of like I've, you know, I've never seen an ugly bride. I've had a couple of close calls, but I've never seen them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. My wife's had a tough day or two. She's never been at me, and I'll just tell you, that broke my wife's heart. It broke my heart, and I, I wanted to leave so bad. I, I just wanted to leave. I said, Lord, I've been here nearly six years, and I really don't think I deserve this, and I know they don't deserve me. And, and, and I mean, I was just full of myself, and I was arrogant. And, and I'm, God just had, and I'll tell you what went on through this experience. God was just, he is knocking everything out of me that wasn't Jesus. That's what it is about. But boy, I didn't like it. And I mean, I got scared. I, I didn't know what they was going to do. I thought they were coming after me. One night I came home and I drove in. There were three men, three men, and they were sitting on the curb of the mailbox at my house. And I went in, told my son, go on upstairs. My wife and daughter were gone. And I walked down the steps and there they were, three men. Three mighty men. 
said, what are y'all doing? I said, whose car is this? I said, well, Pastor, we rented this car at 5.30 this morning. So we took a little trip. We, we drove 350 miles one way to your hometown of Pisgah, Alabama. See, you, you told us that when you were just a boy, you used to ride your bicycle in that little town and, and the whole town was fed by an artesian well. I said, yeah, still is. And, and that water just bubbled up out of the ground and, and you just stick your head down in the grass when you'd get real hot and sweaty and you could drink. I said, yeah. I said, have you ever read 2 Samuel 23? And I said, well, I don't have it memorized. I've read the whole Bible a few times, but I... Help me. And they said, well, you know where David's at the cave? I said, oh, yeah. And he wanted a drink of water from his Bethlehem. And they said, well, we drove 350 miles this morning one way. We went to Pisgah and we talked with your mother and daddy. She gave us a quart fruit jar and we brought you a drink of water from your Bethlehem. Every preacher needs men like that. Well, this is about 8 o'clock at night. We started hugging each other, dancing in the yard, praying, <laughs> glory to God. I mean, it, we, had, we just had an old Holy Ghost spell. That's what they call it where I'm from. And uh, Man, it was good. And they, they, they so refreshed me, encouraged me. <laughs> and I said, well, y'all better go on home. He said, well, we brought you something else, preacher. I said, yeah. He said, well, you said you were 17 years old and out on the brow of the mountain. Pisgah in Hebrew means a high rocky ridge, and that's what Pisgah is. You go to that ridge, and you can look off and see the Tennessee River running down out of Tennessee into the TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority down there. You can see it, and that gorge running. We often say where we're from, the only good thing to come out of Tennessee is that river, and it comes running down through there. <laughs> We'd see that river. The pastor, you told us when God called you to preach, there was a big rock out there, and you'd go lie down on that rock, and you'd pray. I said, oh, yeah, I'd just take my Bible. It'd just be me and God in the Bible, and I'd lie down. I'd look over. They said, well, we had your daddy take us out there close as he thought he could find where that might be. And we took a hammer, and we busted off two pieces of that rock. And they reached over in the back of the car, and they got two. I can hold them in my hands about like this. I have them now right outside my office door at home. They're planted, and every now and then, and I did it before I came here, I go out there, and I put one foot on one rock and one foot on the other rock, and, and, and those guys said, now, Pastor, this is the rock on which God called you to preach, and if you'll stay on that rock, we're here to tell you, God will see you through this storm, and the ground will not shake, and you will make it because you're not on sand. You're on the rock of the Lord Jesus. Shoo, Lord God. We had another spell, Brother Mike. I mean, I mean, we went to hollering and carrying on. You'd have thought we was at the Brownsville Assembly of God. I mean, we was just having a spell. <laughs> well, it moved on toward 9 o'clock. And I said, well, y'all better go home. And they said, well, Pastor, one more thing we brought you. Said, you know, up on the side of that mountain, fresh flowers, rhododendron grows. I said, yeah, and they reached over and they brought out of the back of that car a big two-pound Maxwell House coffee can. Y'all remember those? And some of you are not old enough, but they had that metal key on the side. And if you hit your finger, we'd cut it, slam off. I mean, it's just, you know, you have to go around. And they had a Maxwell House coffee can with gravel about that deep and some water, and they'd stuck that rhododendron in it and said, Pastor, we brought you some flowers. I said, you not see the signs? Yeah, we saw the signs, $50 fine, but said, we got a pastor that taught us it's easier to get forgiveness than his permission, so we just <laughs> cut them off of there. 
So, Pastor, we want you to know that the Lord will be the rose of your sharing. He'll be the lily of your valley. He'll be the fresh flower of your soul if you'll trust Him. I have a picture of those flowers on my credenza I look at almost every day. Of course, they're dead and gone years ago now, but those fresh flowers. I said, Lord, be, be the freshness of my life. Every preacher needs mighty men. Every church needs 30 or more. Well, finally, those old boys, they, they said, now, Pastor, we want you to look us in the eye and we want you to be quiet. We know you're not big on being quiet, but we want you to be quiet. We want to tell you something. I said, all right. I said, now, Pastor, we've written this down. We've talked about it six hours up and six hours back and two hours of your mother and father. And we got something we want to say to you and we've written it down and one of them read. I said, now, Pastor, here's what we want you to understand. We, the three of us, here are our names and phone numbers, and I have them in my phone in my car. Said, if you're ever in trouble anywhere on the globe, if you will call one of us, that one will call the other two, and we will come to your aid, no questions asked. And we are willing, Pastor, to die for you. And I said, wait a minute. And they said, no, be quiet now. We, we know you won't like this, but we, we want you to know that we are willing to die. And if this church is going to come after you, they're going to have to come through us. We're willing to lay down our life for you. I'm here to tell you, you can build a church of three men like that. Because they, they got friends. And, and I'm just telling you tonight, I, I love y'all, but don't mess with me because I'll call one of those guys. <laughs> And they hugged me and we cried and wept. They said, Pastor, we mean it. We're with you. We know you're not perfect. There's no perfect preacher. We, we understand. But you're our pastor and God sent you to us. And the only way a man of God ought to leave, if God called him, then God ought to send him. And when God sends you, okay. But as long as you're here, we're, we're with you. They finally got in the car. Went just a few feet in the back window, rolled down. And the oldest of the three stuck his head out and said, Oh, yeah, Pastor, one other thing we forgot to tell you. We will lay down our life for you. If you ever sleep with the wrong woman or become a liberal, we will kill you. Now, that's a quote. We'll kill you. Wow. And I'm telling you, from that day, that day the, the cloud started to break. Because three men became obedient to the heavenly vision of what God put in their heart. Nobody asked them to do that but the Holy Spirit of God. And they went and got water and got rocks and got flat, but that's not what they got obedience. And they brought it and said, Pastor, we will be those mighty men. You know, in the story, David poured the water out. And God told me to pour it out. But I didn't do it. I wanted to keep that. And I was just waiting, Brother Mike, for the first preacher to come in my office discouraged. And I was fixing to show him that water. God told me to get rid of it. But I just, I said, Lord, I'll keep that. It'll be a good... Uh, 
object lesson. I came in one Friday and the preacher came in, it was ready, and I turned and the water was gone. I buzzed my secretary. I said, what? Because I'd never told anybody. I didn't tell anybody but my wife did. Matter of fact, those three men, I've never breathed their name to anybody. Anybody knows their name they got from them or somebody else, but we made a pact we'd never tell because these men are unnamed in Scripture, so we've never told. I've said the only time I, I said, when I, when I bury you guys, I'm going to tell this story. I've preached it in my church, but I looked around, that water was gone. I called the secretary, and I said, where? She said, well, I didn't know what it was, and it's been sitting there, and it's getting kind of green on top. And she said, housekeeping just poured it out. I said, poured it out? And the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. He said, those three men obeyed me. Now, when you begin to obey me, all will be well. What is it God's told you tonight? What is it God's been speaking to your heart this week? You need to obey Him today. That's when revival comes, is when we get obeyed. God's looking for men. Now, here's what we're going to do. I, after this service, I may not get invited back, but it'll be all right. I, I wasn't looking to come when I came this time, all right? So uh, I'll be glad to come if God's in it. Here's what I want us to do tonight. I didn't ask the pastor, because I never do when I preach this message, but... What I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to ask the pastor to come and stand right here, and I'm going to ask every staff member of this church, I'm going to ask every staff member to come and stand right here. And here's what I want us to do. Because I don't want 15, 20, 30, 50 people coming, but I want a leader in each one of those areas, if it's music, or it's the pastor, it's the deacon chairman, or youth man, if there's a youth council, a chairman, I want one, just a couple of people, I want you to come, and I want you to lay hands on these folks here tonight, and I want you to pray God's favor to be on them. Mary, I'm going to ask you to come to the piano and just begin to play softly, and she'll come right now, and she begins to do that. And these men, y'all come and just stand here right now if you don't mind, and I'm going to go right over here to these steps. And while we play this song and people come pray over these leaders and these servants, if you're here tonight and you've never been saved and want to be Come right over here to me and I'll get you to one of our encouragements. If you're here and want to